Heavenly Father, we have been graced by your presence and by your angels in the form of these students this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that your blessing would continue to, be, to rain down upon them as they minister all over, um, wherever they go, Lord. Um, may you be able to speak to people who perhaps have closed their hearts to you, but may they speak to them, Lord, in their music. And so now as we open up your word and as we kind of just talk for a few moments, Lord, about what's been true for thousands of years, it's our prayer that you would help to silence all of the distractions in our minds and that you would help us to be present to your truth now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, how many of you have smartphones? You don't have to put them up, but how many of us have smartphones? I know there's more of you that have smartphones. I know all the kids probably do, right? Um, but one of the reasons why I love these smartphones is because how many of you have ever used the Maps function on it? Not on the iPhone one, because that will always lead you astray. I'm talking about the Google Maps one. <laughs> I'm converted. But yeah, we, we love our phones because they have this one feature on them that no matter where we have to go, we can put in our starting point and our destination, and what we find is that it will give us different routes. Now, this was just a random place I chose. You can't really see it, but what we find is it'll give you two options, maybe even three options, as to how to get to that destination. Not only does it tell you which of the options is closer, but if you look closer and you look at those green lines, it'll actually show you which places have traffic and which places or which routes don't have as much traffic. Now, as great as this technology is, is it always, like, perfect? No. And, and even when it has green lines, it still doesn't mean that there's no traffic. Have you guys noticed that? There's something that Google or Apple Maps cannot do and that cannot fully predict the traffic. I remember this last week, or, or two weeks ago rather, I was driving to the hospital and I took the toll roads to cut across the traffic. I was getting down towards Mission Viejo and all of a sudden the freeway just came to a standstill. And I was like, it's, it's, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. There's no traffic at this time. What's happening? It was, it was almost as though I wish I had a helicopter so I could just kind of go up. Have you ever felt that way? Right? Because a battering ram in the front of your car is not good enough. So we wish we had a helicopter to be able to kind of look up and over to see what it is that is ahead of us, right? And if not a helicopter, at the very least, a periscope on the top of our car. Because if it's an accident 10 feet away or 15 feet away, that, we can handle the weight. But if it's for miles, we would rather be able to get off or at least pull over to the shoulder and watch Netflix on our phones. I don't know. But in life, it's almost as though we wish that there was some way to look beyond just what we see in front of us. There is this one understanding or this saying that even Socrates talks about, but it's the Archimedean point. The Archimedean point is this vantage point, almost as though it is God's vantage point of being able to see not just what's in front of us, but for God to be able to see the, the future in its full extent. And so it's almost as though we as humans wish that, there was, that we had this, this point of view from this Archimedean point where we would be able to be able to see from now until all eternity and be able to see everything that would happen. But the truth is, is that as humans, there is absolutely no possible way that we can see even beyond what's happening in this very moment. We can plan for what's going to happen after church. We can plan for what we hope to be doing in five years or ten years. But for those of you who are a little bit further along the journey of life, you will be the first to tell us 
that you can plan to the very dot of everything you're going to do from now until the day that you turn 65 and retire. But the truth is, is what? There is no guarantee that even as hard as you work, that you will be able to get to that place exactly the way you want. Which is why we as, as believers and as... Every time I say believers, someone told me the word bleeber. And I hate it because every time I say believer, I think of Justin Bieber. I know, I hate it. I'm just like, wah, wah. We as followers of Christ put our faith in the God who has the Archimedean point of view that will be able to guide us every way, every step of the way. And so this morning I want to show you how that works in our practical life. So if you have your Bibles or if not, you can follow along with me on the screen. But we begin with a passage that we know well. We begin with a passage that we often hear at funerals that I've used and I've stopped using because it doesn't make sense anymore um, because it has nothing to do with funerals. But this is a text that we've used and it's one that I want to use this morning. It's in John chapter 14, verse 1. And it says, Do not let, this is Jesus, by the way, speaking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus is using a kind of language that they would use in the first century where Uh, A man, after he is engaged to a woman, they don't get married right away, but rather the man would go away, and for as long as it took, he he would add an addition to his father's house. And he would make an extra dwelling space, an extra room, or a series of rooms, or whatever it was, and a man would go and he would build basically a new house and a new home for him and his wife to be. And so Jesus is just conjuring up the language of the first century that they would have understood that Jesus was going and he has a plan and he is going to take them with him. And Jesus says, and you know the way where I am going. Jesus is painting this vivid picture of a place, of a paradise, of a mansion, of this beautiful place where one day all of his believers would be able to go to. Jesus was tapping in to their reality. The entire story of the Bible, from from the beginning in the book of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve until the very end of the scripture, what we find that is consistent throughout the entire Bible is a story of a people who have lost their way and they are trying to find their way back to God. It is the beginning where Adam and Eve, unfortunately, they set the stage for us to continue to make the same mistakes. In Milton's Paradise Lost, he says of man's first disobedience and of that fruit, of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with the loss of Eden. Eden is the sense of loss. It is the sense that things aren't as they should be. And the Bible is a story of the people of God trying to find their way back to this paradise. And I think it's what we do now. 
It's what we do here in the United States where we work as hard as we can because we want to have the best kind of paradise that money can afford us. We work hard so that we can enjoy our vacations. It's funny, though, we work hard to get, what, maybe two or three weeks off a year. And so it's like our whole lives are just about working so that we can enjoy those, first, those few moments a year to enjoy vacation. It's because as humans built into us, we know that there is more to life than just waking up at 7 o'clock and going to school and all of these exams and all of these papers we have to write. As human beings, we know that there's more than waking up and going to the job where we sit there for 8 or 9 or 10 hours, and it just drains us, but we need a job because we need to be able to provide for our kids or for ourselves. Because as human beings built into our DNA is that there is something more, and somehow we are missing out from the greatest life that God has called us to live. But Jesus says, I go and I prepare a place for you, and you know the way where I am going. So Thomas, a C-plus student at best, says this, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? There's a reason they called him Doubting Thomas. He just, I don't know, I think maybe he skipped class most days or something because he always asked the wrong questions at the wrong time and it wasn't until after the final exam that he's like, oh, I get it now. (laughs) Some of you won't get that until you read the story in the Bible. But Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to which Jesus responds? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I want to pause here for a second because that sounds extremely exclusive. It sounds extremely narrow that only people who believe in Jesus will get to experience eternal life. Look, I'm saying this as a pastor, as someone who has dedicated and given my life to serve, G- to serve God by preaching this message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But even to me, because I have friends, I used to be a part of an interfaith council where I had friends of every different faith, and to me it always seemed extremely narrow that Jesus is the only way. And there's a passage that says this, enter through the narrow gate. This is Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate, for the the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take that road, but the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Again, there is this sense of this extreme narrowness, this extreme exclusivity, this, this, this feeling of we are in and everyone else is out. Except, if we think about it this way, when Jesus says that he is the way and the road is narrow, what Jesus is saying is, I've paid the price. I laid down my life so that you can be forgiven and now live in freedom. There was only one who could lay down his life, and that was me. So the road is narrow because it all goes through Jesus. There's another part in scripture that in Matthew chapter 28 that says that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, which means that it is because of Jesus' death that everyone has access to enter into this eternal life. Jesus' death was extremely costly. Now, I know, parents, you are here. There are days when you want to strangle your kids 
and you want to kill them. I know. I've been there. But you can kill them. You will not allow themselves to sacrifice for others. Does that make sense? It's supposed to be a joke. Like, only you can kill them. They Okay. The point is that Jesus sacrifices his son. On the days when we want to kill our kids, we don't really want to kill them. We just want them to do what we ask them to do. That's all I meant. But Jesus sacrifices his son for everyone. That is costly. I think we would have a really hard time sacrificing our kid so that others would live. Even if it meant you choose your son or a hundred other people, we would probably choose our own children because we don't want to live without them because it would be too painful. And yet yet God sacrifices his one and only son. The reason the Bible writers use that language is because for for a father to only have one son, that son would be the heir of of, of the father's inheritance and fortune. And so that one son in the first century would then carry on the father's name into eternity, we would hope. So you would keep reproducing and the family name would go on. The reason that the Bible writers use this term of God as father and Jesus as son is because God says, I am willing to cut myself off for all eternity for you. He was sacrificing the family name. God was sacrificing, in essence, his his fortune and his inheritance. He was saying, look, you guys love your children and you would never kill your son. I am sacrificing my son so that you would be forgiven and you would have access and a road to eternal life. So the road is narrow because only Jesus can give you eternal life. Only Jesus can atone can forgive and look past your sins. The road is wide that leads to destruction. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, you know, I'm not a Christian, I don't, I don't really believe in, in God, but I try to be a good person. Have you ever heard that? I mean, we hear Christians say that all the time, right? I try to be a good person. That's the wide road. If you're trying to be good enough to justify yourself before God and say, God, I have lived the life that you have asked me to live. I have done my very best. Please be merciful. God's like, I I already provided Jesus for you. Why do you insist on trying to earn my favor by being good enough? Love is not given because you have somehow earned it. You love someone because of who they are. If you love someone just because of what they can do for you or give you in return, that's not love, that's selfishness. Young people. (laughs) Our young people. (laughs) If you love someone because of what they can give back to you, that's not love, that's that's just meeting a need that you have within yourself. God's love isn't based on how good you can be in order to show God that you love him, God's love is you are my children and I am going to love you until the very end. So when Jesus says that narrow is the way, what he's saying is it comes through me. And Jesus can dispense it to anyone. So to answer the question of will only Christians get into heaven, that's not for us to decide, it's, it's for Jesus to decide 
who he extends his grace to and who he makes the invitation to. And the Bible will show us that it's not just Christians who get into heaven, but all those who have in somehow lived the substance of Christ. That's in Romans, and we'll get to that in the next month or two. Narrow is the way because it leads to Jesus. But any time that you try to be good enough, you try to live up to all the rules and say, God, I have, I have lived the best possible life, that's the, ro- that's the broad way that leads to destruction. Because if you think you can ever be good enough to attain salvation, just ask your parents. Just ask your wife or your husband if you're the perfect person. And they will be the first, yeah, someone's like, oh, and you, they will be the first person to tell you you're not. And if they're telling you that, then God's checkboard would be like, nope. Which is why God sends Jesus, so that all that God sees in you is the perfect Christ within you. Jesus says, if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So Jesus is basically telling them, if you know me, you know the Father, so now you know the Father. And Philip, one of the other disciples, said to him, another C-plus student, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Like, how, like, you know people say there's no dumb question? These were dumb questions. (laughs) Which we're thankful for, because they help us to see more clearly. So he says, just show us the Father, and and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus and John would say, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The beginning, the eternal now, is that you would know who God is. And Jesus says, you know who God the Father is if you know who Jesus is. Young people, older people alike, you could try to live your lives by all sorts of rules and regulations, and they all have their place in our lives, okay? So don't go back to school and be like, the pastor said we shouldn't live by rules and regulations, so I'm going to show up to class late. Please don't do that. Don't do that to your parents, okay? You have to make that caveat. I once, I once preached a sermon at my last church, and I said something like, children only honor your parents if they're living honorably. And I got so much like, bad emails from that. <laughs> to which I would respond, I'd like for, to talk to you about that. Because how are you living and how are you showing your faith to your children? That's a biblical mandate, parents. That you must be showing that kind of faithful living to your children. But that's another sermon for another time. That's a Friday night seminar. Um, But Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you would know the Father, and you know the Father if you know me. Read the Gospels. I know for some of you, you guys would rather do, you know, Facebook, I know young people don't use Facebook anymore, that's so, like, old, I know, but Instagram or Twitter or whatever other stuff is out there, right? I know that's more exciting and that's easier to look at, but just spend time reading the Gospels. Look, my sermons are worthless if I don't give you practical advice to, a life close to, to live a life that is closer to, to God. Read the Gospels because Jesus is very clear. If you know who I am, you know who the Father is. There's another place here it says, Jesus says to people, to the religious people. So this would be to us if Jesus was here today. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
if your reading of the Bible doesn't make you have a closer relationship with Christ, you are reading it wrongly. If you are reading your Bible to use it as a sword to injure other people because they believe differently than you, you've missed the point of the Bible. If you use the Bible only as your source to proof text against other people like Baptists or Lutherans or Methodists, you're using it in the wrong way. That's not how the Bible was written anyway. The Bible is God's rich story of his love for you and for me and how God has provided the avenue, the way, the narrow road that leads to eternal life. If the Bible is not leading you to a more humble way of living in relationship with Christ, you are reading it wrongly. And so when Jesus, uh, there's, there's one last little part of this text here. Where Jesus says, if you know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you have seen him. My challenge for you this morning is that when Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, what he is saying is that he has provided the only way to eternal life, and he is inviting every single one of you to believe what he has said so that he would be able to give you not only the fullness of life now, but the assurance of the inheritance that you have for all eternity. Amen.